want you to know that you are welcome here. Always welcome. Those of you guys joining us on, uh, online. Got a question for you. How many of you guys have figured out your spouse? Oh, a couple brave people in here. Um, so that means that you figured them out. You know their emotions. You, so your relationship is perfect, right? You figured them out. Yeah, I didn't think so. So for the rest of us who are being honest in the room, uh, we know that it's not perfect. We haven't figured out our spouse. Um, I remember 12 years ago going through marriage counseling before getting married. And in fact, I got a lot of unsolicited counseling. And men, you know exactly what I'm about to say. Everybody wanted to give you their advice and tell you to say to everything, yes, dear, right? Happy wife, happy. See, you guys know. So I got to be honest with you, I have not followed this advice, probably to my own detriment, but, um, but I have tried to figure out my wife, and I can honestly tell you I am far away, still very far away, still learning, still growing, but those first few years, and if you guys are married in this room, you know those first few years are pretty fuzzy, pretty blurry, you're trying to figure each other out, trying to understand, and that's a lot like um, this series that we're in is you might have a, a brand new relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've only been following him for a few years. And so it might be a little fuzzy. You're still trying to figure it out. Um, but that's exactly what we're talking about. Maybe some of you guys have followed him for your whole life, maybe many, many years. Maybe your understanding of Jesus, um, what you were taught 30 years ago, if you just took that and did not continue to grow and, and learn and continue to seek him, then your understanding of Jesus, guess what? It's fuzzy. It's outdated. It's standard definition. And we're in 2022. This is 4K. You know, that's the highest resolution that you can get on your TV so far. Maybe next year will be 8K. We don't know. Um, but it's, it's continually getting better, better and better resolution better quality and that is our goal for you that your relationship with Jesus would be like that that you continue to understand and seek him and grow in wisdom and grow um, in your understanding crystal clear understanding so if you've missed any of the messages in this series I encourage you to go check it out um, online or our podcast the last two weeks we uh, we've been looking at Jesus has been outside of Judea avoiding the Jewish leaders. And now he goes back to the capital city of Jerusalem. And why? Why would he go back? Because he knows the Jewish leaders are, are looking to persecute him. So why would he go back there? One, we actually don't really know. Um, but it's, you can deduce that, okay, Jesus is an obedient Jew. He's going back for the feast. However, it's pretty clear as you read the book of John he was also going back to Jerusalem for another reason. He was going to give a clear picture, a 4K picture of who he is. So John, reading through, you realize he gives a really descriptive, um, detailed picture of this pool in Bethesda, right? And so his description actually for centuries is why so many people discredited John as the writer because up until the 19th century there was no archaeological evidence to support this five-sided pool. Well thanks to archaeology we know now that John's description is spot-on. 
okay? The name of the pool is Bethesda. Uh, in Aramaic, means house of mercy. Have you, have you guys ever been to or seen pictures of Lake Kichitikipi? That's a fun word to say. Uh, Lake Kichitikipi, it's, in the, uh, it's, it's up north, and, and it is the Michigan's largest, uh, largest natural freshwater spring. You can see for four, clearly, you can see for like 40 feet into, down into the water, which is really cool. Okay, this past week, I didn't go up to Lake Kichitikipi, but I did go to Clearwater Lake, which is, which is um, another freshwater, it's a spring-fed lake, and it's very clear. You could see for like 15 feet down. It is absolutely beautiful, but none, none more beautiful than Lake Kichitikipi. And what, what happens is the ground under, uh, under the spring is forced up so you can see the bubbles that it makes and, and the water is stirred, okay? So springs are often associated or considered to have healing properties. So among other things, very, a lot of superstition is surrounding this and the belief was that once the water is stirred, if you're the first person in the spring, then you will get healed. So people with all kinds of sickness and infirmities would actually be waiting in line. And, and come time, once the water is stirred, they basically cage, cage fight to see who is the first one in. Um, and this guy is sitting there for 38 years. I won't stand in line at Cedar Point for a ride for more than two hours before I am just done, okay? So you guys know what I'm talking about. You go through the drive-thru, coffee, or, or fast food, and you're sitting there going, this is supposed to be fast food, but there's like 10 cars in front of you, and you're like, I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's exactly what's going on here, but, but he's waiting because he really has this hope. And if there's something that you really want, you can wait, right? You wait till Christmas, or maybe even you wait a few years for something that you really want, but you can't have it right now. Maybe you can't afford it. Or maybe the circumstances are outside of your control. And the circumstances were outside of this man's control. He was invalid. He, was, he needed healing, but he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't predict when his healing was going to come. He didn't predict that Jesus was going to, he didn't even really know who Jesus was. But he was sitting there for 38 years, and then Jesus walks up to him, and he's like, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? I mean, is he, is he joking with this guy? Obviously, everybody sitting there is looking for healing. <laughs> so, and, and Jesus knew that this guy was there for 38 years, so is he, like, messing with him? <laughs> I don't think so. I think he was actually asking a little bit deeper question. He doesn't emphatically say yes, though. This guy wasn't like, yes, do it, come on, I'm ready. He's like, nobody, I, I need help to get in the water. I can't get there myself. If somebody could help me, do you want to help me get in the water? You know, maybe his excitement had grown weary or worn off years ago. Maybe his response really didn't match what was going on on the inside, how he felt or his, or his hope that he would get healed. I'll tell you this, last year I went to Disney, took my kids to Disney for the first time and hopefully the last time, uh, but I, I took them there and I stood in line for three and a half hours and I can tell you this, my face 
was definitely saying, this better be worth it. <laughs> this better be worth it. Because I don't like to stand in line that long. And, and of course, we had heard that this ride, the, the Star Wars ride, was going to be amazing. And uh, I was like, it better be. <laughs> because three and a half hours, the ride broke down. Like, we were in line for a couple hours, and then it broke down. And it was like, should we stay in line? Well, we've already stayed in line this, this long. But I tell you what, this guy probably didn't tell his face. You know, he probably was very, you know, uh, just 38 years. Are you kidding me? So, you know, he probably just, it, his facial expression probably just didn't match what was going on, on the inside because three and a half hours in line waiting for the ride, my face didn't say it, but on the inside, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And can I tell you, in case you ever do go, oh, the Star Wars ride, 18 minute long experience. I'm not a spokesman for, for Disney, by the way. But 18-minute long experience, and afterwards I was like, they must have spent a fortune. And I looked it up, $1 billion. So if you want to go on a billion-dollar ride, that's the one. Um, so last week we talked about uh, a, a guy who walked 20 miles to meet Jesus and ask him to heal his son. This man doesn't even seem to know who Jesus is. And yet Jesus tells him, get up and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. In the midst of dozens, possibly more people looking to get healed, why did Jesus pick this man? I wish I could tell you that the scripture tells us exactly why, but we don't know. We honestly have no clue. But one thing is for sure, Jesus, he knew what he was doing. He was fulfilling some prophecy, but also at the same time, he was showing a 4K clear picture of himself as Messiah and the healer. And God gave this prophecy through Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be, shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So these signs God gave them are to help them see and recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He instantaneously healed this man, proving that he was able to make the lame man leap like a deer. And I'm sure that guy did. I mean, can you imagine that guy for 38 years and then all of a sudden he can walk? I mean, he was probably making deer noises as he was leaping. I know I would. I'm not going to try to make a deer noise because I have no idea what it sounds like. But the religious leaders, all they saw was this guy's breaking the religious rules, carrying his mat. And today we're focused on the man that was healed. If you come back next week, we're going to show you that why instead of rejoicing, they should have been rejoicing that a man was healed. But instead of that, the Jewish leaders officially begin plotting to get rid of Jesus for good. So in order for Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah, he needed to be able to heal the deaf, the blind, the mute, and the lame, which he does all four. But the very things that proved that he was the Messiah and the healer is the very things that people actually use to reject God and Jesus, right? They say things like, well, why is there mute people in the first place? Why is there sickness? Why is there the, uh, lame and deaf people in the first place? I don't like a God that allows that. 
I, I really hope that you can see the worldview, the biblical worldview, because it has the best answer for that. That's why our, our big idea today is this. Allow suffering to lead you to the healer. That is the purpose. Every human suffers. We all struggle, some more than others. What happened at Uvalde, what's, what's ha- happened with the wars that continue in, in the Ukraine, sex trafficking, child abuse, rape, exploitation in the porn industry, scamming our senior citizens, and the list goes on and on and on. And for, for history, throughout history, this has been an issue. And typically, humanity, we blame the gods. If you have a bad crop, oh, the gods must have something against you this year. If you can't get pregnant, well, maybe, maybe there's sin in your life, or maybe, maybe you haven't done the right things to, to uh, worship God or something. And humans have created all kinds of gods that act just like us humans, except they have supernatural powers like Zeus and the rest of them. They're petty and jealous and, and uh, vindictive and they're capricious. They, they change in a moment. You don't know what they're going to like or dislike, and so you're just trying your whole life to try to appease the gods. Even today, our superhero, Superman, I mean, he experienced pain and, and um, he uses powers to turn back time. Dr. Strange tries to correct or change the present by using his powers to control time and travel in the multiverse. And they have these super powers, but Superman and Dr. Strange, much like the Romans, Egyptian, and Greek gods, are imperfect and selfish, just like us. The only difference is they are superheroes. They have super natural powers. Some worldviews try to pin suffering on our evolutionary development. Some try to explain it away and say that there is no suffering. Some blame it on religion. Uh, And some say it's the job of government and society to take it away. Christianity actually provides the greatest worldview consistently making sense of the problem of suffering and evil. The God of the Bible is not like these other gods. He is holy, perfect, and good. These so-called gods don't hold a candlestick, don't hold a match or whatever to, to God. He's the one true God. And look at James 1, 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. God created the universe and everything that exists, including humans, and it was good. It was perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. He made humans in the image of God without sin. That was his design. That was his plan. Perfect. And the world was meant to live forever, and they were meant to live forever. God did not create evil, but he created humans with the capacity to choose to love and obey him or rebel. We're not robots, we're not puppets, we are free-willed creatures, uh, and we have the freedom and capacity to make our choice. The first humans made a choice, and they chose poorly. They ended up with the consequences that he even warned them about. Death. Not just physical death, because up to that point, they were going to probably live, uh, they were built to live forever. But physical death, but also, more importantly, spiritual death. They couldn't be with God anymore. They couldn't be in his presence. He would walk with them in the cool of the evening in the garden, but now they didn't get that anymore. They weren't with him because sin cannot be in the presence of God. He is holy. 
And ever since then, the world has experienced the effects of sin. We live in a fallen world, and God has been on a rescue mission to redeem and save humanity. We often hear this taught by the world, though, that people are basically good. God says differently. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he also says in Romans 1, 28 through 29, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Men want to blame God for everything, for him um, making him out to be evil or that suffering was his desire or his plan. But we've chosen. We made a choice. And we continue to choose. And we experience the consequences in three main ways. Number one, we often blame God for the pain that I bring into my own life. See, if I choose to lie or cheat, then I could lose my job or my grades at school or my reputation. If I choose to get drunk, then I open the door up to all sorts of things that could bring harm. When I choose to spend my money or my time unwisely, I will suffer the consequences, not because of God, but because of choices that I have made. Number two, sometimes we, the, the pain that we experience is because of the choices of others. The responsibility is not fully on them, but we are affected by it. Right? If I choose to say hateful things to my children in a moment of frustration or anger, man, they, they could suffer for years. A greedy businessman or a, 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 a building contractor or something like that that uses subpar materials or cuts corners in their building could cause harm in the future to some people. That was their choice out of their greed. When we ridicule or mock people, especially children that are so, so sensitive and they're growing, um, that could cause all sorts of uh, harm and they could do unspeakable things out of rage, guilt, or shame. Again, the responsibility is not fully on the other person, but that does cause pain and suffering. The third way is sometimes suffering just happens, right? It's, it's not always be based on somebody's choice or sin, just Accidents happen. People do get sick. Um, natural disasters happen, and they're not related to choices sometimes. Suffering exists, mainly because of sin. The whole world is affected by it. We are all affected by it, and none of us can take it away. That doesn't mean that suffering is meaningless or useless. Okay, I want you to, I want you to know that. That doesn't mean that suffering is meaningless or useless. God often allows the consequences of sin to play out, not because he is vindictive or ruthless. He has a purpose beyond the suffering that you're, you're temporarily currently going through. Okay, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his end goal. He wants every single man, woman, and child on the face of this earth to come into repentance and to be with him for eternity. So our consequences are meant to show us the error of our ways and lead us to repent, to find the healer. And Jesus finds this man again and says to him, See, you are well. John 5, 14. 
you know, like, see, told you you would be healed. But then what does he say after that? Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. We don't actually know if this guy followed what Jesus said right then. We don't, we, we don't have the, uh, the rest of the story of this guy. But one thing is for sure, physical healing, even if it's miraculous, doesn't mean spiritual healing. These signs and wonders were intended to point people to the Messiah, the healer. And the sad truth is that so many people, they love the gift, but ignore the giver. Oh yeah, God, if you heal me, say no more, I will follow you the rest of my life. God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll do whatever you want. Everybody wants the healing. Everybody wants to get rid of the suffering. But so many ignore the healer and the giver. Let's say this big idea together. Allow suffering to lead you to the healer. Jesus gives a 4K understanding of suffering when he says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the hope is not that suffering will go away in this life. We're guaranteed to have suffering. The hope is that Jesus is bigger than whatever you face, whatever suffering, whatever evil you encounter, because God has overcome the world and he's overcome evil. So even in suffering, we can have peace on this earth because we're going to have eternal life with God where there will be no more suffering. Not only does God bring peace in the midst of suffering, but he says that it can be very useful. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, the, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When my, baby, when my kids were babies, <laughs> when my babies were kids, that doesn't really work. So when my kids were babies, uh, I remember me and my wife, we would always say like, oh gosh, this is the worst. I can't wait till they get older. And then they hit the terrible twos and the threes and the terrible fours and the terrible fives. And every, every single time it's like, oh man, this is way worse. This is the worst. And then now they're eight and six going on 18 and 16. They think they're teenagers. And we're like, oh my goodness, I, I can't. I can't even, right? It's like, this is the worst. But we look back and we see that, man, every single season was a test and it was a season preparing us for the next season and for the next test. And whatever test you're going through now, it's meant to produce steadfastness. The definition of steadfastness, you guys all know what steady means, but it's fixed in direction. Fixed in direction, firm in purpose, unwavering, resolution, faith. So if you will be steady, Every single time, steady in your pursuit of Jesus and your reliance on him, then you're going to be complete and you're going to be lacking nothing. You're going to have everything that you need. And trust me when I tell you, you will be tested. Your faith cannot be pure faith 
unless it is tested and tried by fire. It has to be. So you're going to go through the tests. And not only will this suffering and these trials of many kinds produce steadfastness, but it produces something else in us. God can bring about good even in suffering. Not, not that he necessarily caused it or purposed it, but he has a purpose beyond the suffering and can bring about even more good. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The death of a loved one can cause your family to seek Christ and to find him. The suffering that you endure faithfully inspires others to endure what they're going through and to find Christ. The sun often shines brightest after the storm. And so when you're going through a a storm in your life, a suffering, man, your hope is that the sun is going to shine very brightly through it and after it, that you're going to be able to testify and point to how Jesus got you through that. And so we're like a big finger. We're constantly just pointing people to God. Suffering can lead us to the healer. It can also be useful, and God can work all things for good. However, that doesn't mean that we just have to take it or definitely not want it. Some people get that a little mixed up, like, yeah, God, bring on the suffering. No, 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 we're supposed to pray, God, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. You shouldn't want it. So what should you do when you are going through suffering or trials? James 5, 13 through 14 says, Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what should be our first response to suffering? Prayer. I first pray knowing that God is the healer. Then what's the next part? After that, ask others to pray for you, pray with you and pray for you. Go to the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on you. So ask others to pray. The best, one of the best things that you can do is download the South Point app. One of the best things on that app is you can ask for prayer. You can invite others. We've got tons of people, hundreds of people on there waiting for prayer requests because they are, they are with you and they are praying for you. And so you can go on that app and, and you, can, you can have hundreds of people right here sitting, sitting to your left and right praying with you and praying for you. Jesus in 4K is, is understanding that Jesus is the healer and that he wants to heal you. That is his desire. Most importantly, spiritually. In, the, in this world, pain is temporary, but growth is permanent. You're going to experience pain, but even if you experience pain your entire life on this earth, that is so temporary, so temporary. Compared to eternity, that is a, a dot. So, I'm not looking for no more suffering in this life because I have a promise in the afterlife that I will have no more suffering, that I will be made whole. That's why I'm at peace of God. He can say yes, he can say no, he can say not right now, and I'm fine with it. I'm going to continue to pray, especially for the things that I'm suffering in my life, 
but I know one day in eternity I will have no more pain. I have a sister, a younger, younger sister uh, that um, her, her experience, her life, along with her other three siblings before and after they joined our family in adoption, um, was very, very tough. Very, uh, very hard life, very hard story. And even after many years later, drugs and alcohol was a huge factor, uh, among other things. Tragedy struck one day when she and her five-month-old son, uh, Honor, were taking a nap, and Honor was on the bed and apparently learned how to roll over that day. And... Um, Honor rolled himself into a bad position, either on the bed in the wall or the blanket, and didn't survive the day. And this child's suffocation has plagued and even suffocated my sister's relationship with God for many years. I, I can't even imagine how many times she either blamed God or, you know, blamed herself. Um, or whatever, and she's had to deal with this loss every day and will for the rest of her life. Thank God recently she has been able to lay that down at the feet of Jesus and start to get away from all the other things that she's been turning to for all these years. She is one year sober, and she is, yeah. Her relationship with God is growing. She's going to church every day, and, and uh, her relationship with the family is, is growing. I have another sister, my oldest sister. Um, she was told by the doctors that she would never be, a, be able to have children. And uh, she prayed and prayed for years and years, and they tried, and, and, uh, and, and they just, it just wasn't going to happen. But she knew. She just knew that God was going to heal her of this. Um, and so one day in church, she went up, and uh, asked for prayer, and the ladies of the church laid hands on her and prayed for her. Guess what? The next week, she got pregnant. And she's had three children, one of them. Three children, and one of them is about to graduate, so they're all grown up, and they're all fine. They're all great. And, uh, you know, she praises Jesus every day for that. And so that just goes to show God can open up doors that no man can open. He can close doors that no man can close. And we all have a story. We all need the healer. So where are you looking for peace? Where are you looking for healing and for rest? The man was stuck searching in the same place for 38 years because that was the only place that he knew of that was the only place that he had heard of that, that was even possible for healing. What about you? Even though this guy was looking for Jesus, wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for him. Jesus knew his needs and he came to him. No matter where you are or where you find yourself in the future, he knows your needs. He knows exactly what you need. And he's come for you as well. Jesus' ultimate purpose is for your salvation. That's the healing that he wants the most. 
So please, 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 let all the other temporary pain and suffering that you experience in your life, let it lead you to the healer. Let it lead you to Jesus. If, you're, if you are su- suffering or looking for peace today, you can find it. I want to invite you guys uh, over the next few moments. We're going to do uh, what we do every week as a, as a family, as, as a family of believers. We have been told every time we get together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus by taking a small meal. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken and bruised for us. The juice represents the blood that was shed for us, that he spilt in our place. So I want to invite you, if you're, if you're not a Christian, take this time, pray, consider what we've been talking about today, consider what it might mean for you to, to trust Jesus and to honor his sacrifice little thing when you come in every week it's in the back so you can grab the communion as you walk in one side has the bread I'd recommend opening that first and then the other side has the juice I want to pray for us and then uh, as the music plays you can come up here and talk to somebody standing up here or after service you can talk to somebody but I want you to take this time just to reflect and And uh, if there is anybody in the, in the room that you, you do need physical healing, I want you to know that you can, you can ask. You can, you can pray. You can, you can ask the healer to, to heal you of that. I think the most important thing is, is that you are okay with whatever he says. If it's yes, praise him. If it's no, praise him. If it's not yet, praise Him. Let's pray. God, we love You. We've come here today just to worship You and, and, uh, and to seek, seek You in spirit and truth, to worship You in spirit and truth. God, I pray that Your Word, the truth of Your Word, would change lives today, that Your presence in this room, God, today would change lives, because I know when You're here, Anything's possible. When you're here, miracles can happen. And when you're here, the greatest miracle of all can happen. God, you can lead somebody. You can draw them to you and forever change their life. You can save souls, and that's something only you can do. So God, we... We worship you. We take this meal right now to remember your sacrifice. God, your love was death on display. That's the greatest love we'll ever experience or ever see in our entire lives. Greatest display of love. Let it draw people in this room to you right now. Even people watching online, let it draw them to you. worship you, God, not because you are the healer of physical infirmities, but because you're the healer of our soul. You've rescued us, and there's nothing we can do 
except praise you and thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.